morning, everyone. Ooh, I'm loud today. So, such a treat to be back with you. It's been a little while since I've been up here. And obviously, my dad has thrown us under the bus with a really nice, hectic topic, as he likes to do. Um, I think he does it on purpose to force me to do my research and actually like dig deep into things because um, over the last, well, last week, this week and next week, we're covering a topic called ethics and discernment. I mean, guys, this is heavy. So <laughs> um, am I the only one that thinks that? <laughs> so, can I ask you to speak on ethics and discernment? <laughs> it's like a tricky one. What does that even mean? Um, so I think it's taken me a little minute to figure out where I land and sort of what I really felt like God wanted me specifically to share on, because obviously there's a few of us um, covering this topic. So I hope what I bring today um, has some meaning for you, helps you in some way. I really feel like God is on this word, but obviously let's just see where he takes us. Um, so I think for me, this is an interesting one because I think First of all, I've had to learn what that gut feeling discernment is for myself um, to figure out what does discernment actually mean to me? Um, what does it mean to trust that the Holy Spirit is actually talking to me about something specifically? And it's not just my own opinion getting in the way. So I think my first lesson in this has just been a personal one of learning to trust. And this week we spoke about our guts, but I think it is that for me. It's I know it in my gut when this is actually something that God is on and I need to then take action or, um, you know, move in that direction. But then what do I do with that? <laughs> so sometimes we feel the Holy Spirit speaking to us about something or we see something and we think this is not okay and we know that God is on this thing, but what do we do next? What is our responsibility um, as Christians? What is our responsibility as family and friends? Where, does, where are the lines here? Hey, does anybody else ever have any of these questions? Because I think it's something that I question a lot. And I know for Shane and myself, we've had countless times where we've sat down, either with my folks or with Gavin and Karen, just different leaders in the church, and said, just help us here. We don't know what the next step is. We've got a funny feeling. We feel like the Holy Spirit is putting a finger on this, but we don't want to make the wrong move. We don't want to go and accuse people of things. We don't want to just, you know, slam our own opinion onto things. We want to know we're doing what is right by the Lord and what we're actually, what's our responsibility. Maybe this isn't my problem. Maybe I actually do just have to sit back and, you know, let people live their lives. Maybe it's not my responsibility. And so we've had a lot of those conversations over the last, whatever, our lives, I guess, um, where we've been trying to learn and we've gone to leadership to say, please help us here, because it is a tricky area. And I think as Christians, it's not always been done well. Um, and that we need to do this well. And so I think that's really why I wanted to chat about this today, because I think, yo, it's a hard one. But I think there can also be some real growth and hope, and truth, and light that comes from trusting the discernment of the Spirit to go to people who we are in relationship with, and calling them on stuff, or encouraging them, or drawing them back in, whatever that looks like, and we're going to get into that in a minute. Um, and this isn't a superhero complex. This is not 
this feeling of, you know, I'm coming in to save the day. I can see what everyone else is doing is wrong, and I need to, you know, it's my duty as a good Christian to call you on all your stuff. That's not what this is at all. I just want to put that out there as a disclaimer. Um, yeah. But as Christians living in church community together, we are called to certain things. I don't know if we call them ethical standards or if we actually call them moral obligations. There's obviously another whole discussion we can have around the difference between morals and ethics, because um, I think there's some lines there that are different. Obviously, some things apply to the laws of our land. Other things are moral codes that we hold because we share the same beliefs. But I do think that if we're choosing to live in Christian community, we do actually, by saying yes to that, some of you came into membership today, but this isn't, <laughs> I'm not suddenly coming at you at the end of this. Um, we are actually saying we want to be held accountable. We want to live a certain life together. We agree to certain values and we want to help each other as best we can to live that way. Would you guys agree with that? You, yes, okay. At least a couple us on the same page. So if we look at Matthew 22, I'm just going to start there, verse 37. This is what it says. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So first thing we have to do, love God. Secondly, the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So we are called to love each other. And love can look like a lot of different things. And today I want to just speak on what some of that is. Um, and sometimes love is hard conversations. How many of you are married? Have you ever had to have a hard conversation? <laughs> but it's worth it, is it not? <laughs> not? <laughs> okay. My opinion is I would rather have a hard conversation now then walk a moor of a long, hard road if we just ignore it forever. That's my marriage tip for you. <laughs> you know, all my 10 years experience. But marriage is a lot of hard conversations because sometimes that's what love is. We have to call each other on things and we have to keep relating and keep working on this thing. So actually, that's what we're called to here too. Sometimes we're called to hard conversations. Um, John Wesley wrote that to make Christianity a solitary thing is to wreck it. So we know that already. In Fountain, we know this. We are community. This is our value, kingdom community. So we know we do not want to be solitary. But if we're choosing to be together, there's another thing we have to do. There's a price there. So some people choose solitary Christianity. And I think in a post-COVID world, even more so, because I think a lot of people just never came back into community after isolation, and that's obviously very sad. But if we're choosing to be here, that means something. And in today's culture, the way I see it, we have two things. And I don't want to say this is just my generation. It may be. I don't even know what my generation is called. There's so many. I can't keep up. But I don't want to just say it's us. I think it's actually a worldwide thing. We have cancel culture, which you all know about. You do anything wrong that we don't like. It could be from 20 years ago, could be today, you're done. You're out of here, we've canceled you, deleted you off everything, you're gone, right? This is what's happening in our culture at the moment. We just write people off regardless. We don't even give them a chance to explain. The other side is so permissive 
that we literally can't comment on anything you do, say, choose, wear, whatever, ever, because you can do whatever you want. You do you. That's, that's what we have. And we go between the two, depending on the mood and the person and how much we like their music, if we really want to delete them or not. Right? <laughs> that's just me. <laughs> Good. Um, so we have these two extremes. The one is one wrong step and you are out of here, cheers, we don't allow that kind of nonsense. And the other is, I can't even look at you because I'm so afraid it's going to be slightly judgmental in some way because how can I judge you? You can do what you want. I don't think either of these are correct, but I feel like that's where we've landed as a society at the moment. And unfortunately, I think, I think it's come into church too, because obviously we know we're all influenced, we're not in a bubble, and I think we actually all, me, none of you, just me, I flit between the two, depending on the person, depending on the circumstances. It's so hard to figure out what that line is, hey? But we have to. There has to be somewhere in the middle, truth in love, something, healthy relating. Because we all know in marriage we can't cancel or just go with everything. Neither of those would be a healthy relationship, but that's what we're doing with each other in church. And so that's, that's my, yeah. I think there's no space for truth in love there because we just get rid of you, or you do what you want. The problem with that is there's also no space for restoration and recovery and, you know, all the good that we want for people, because we're just actually leaving everyone to their own devices. We're not supporting each other. It's like, you do you. Literally, I'm not getting involved. Actually, I want you to get involved. I, I want you to be in my life. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm choosing to be in community. Um, and let's be honest. Now, this one I know I'm not alone in. We all have things within us that we know we should be working on. Hey? Yes, good. <laughs> this is not a shaming thing at all. This is just a being, being flipping genuine. This is the thing. We have this within us. We all know we have things within us that we should be working on. Some of us are, some of us aren't. Sometimes we work harder, sometimes we don't. But we all know we are not perfect. None of us are. That's not the, we can't be. C.S. Lewis writes this, which is quite intense. It is not a question of God sending us to hell. In each of us, there is something growing up which will of itself be hell unless it is nipped in the bud. The matter is serious. Let us put ourselves in his hands at once, this very day, this hour. Hmm. So it's in us. We know it is. We have things that we need to be taking to the cross. We have things that we know, behaviors, actions, thoughts, whatever these things are, um, we need to be taking, we need to be called on them, and we need to be taking them to Jesus. But what does Jesus teach us to do as a community? And that's where I wanted to get to um, as we start getting into the word a little bit here. But before I open the scripture, I want to ask a favor of all of you. Are you listening? 
bear with me. Can I ask you to just within yourself say, there's hope and life at the end of the story. Because the scriptures I'm talking about today are scriptures that I think have often been misused in church. And so I think when someone stands, there's a weight to what I'm saying, and that's why I'm wording it carefully, because I think when someone stands up at a pulpit and preaches this passage, often we have a lot of things that rise up, because we've been in churches, we've been here, we've been other places, we've been hurt by church, we've been hurt by Christians. And so I just want to ask you today to please bear with me. I promise there is hope and light at the end, and this is actually not bad news. Can we do that? Can we look at some, some verses together? I promise it's good, guys. You know I don't bring you ugly things. I'm not brave enough. Okay, so we're going to go to Matthew 18, and we're going to look at verses 15 to 20 today. They will be familiar to you, I'm sure. I'm going to just read through them once, and then I'm going to break it down a little bit for you, um, you know, in all my theological knowledge, but let's just take a swing at it. I think they'll come up now. So verse 15, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, Treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you, that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Do you recognize the verse? Yes? <laughs> I'm scared, Ruben. No, it's good, guys. I promise. I promise. We're getting to the good stuff. Okay, so let's just break it down real quick together. I just want to give us a little overview. The first thing I want you to take note of is that it says brother or sister, which implies that it's people within your church community. That's us, family. It's not Joe Soap down the road. It's actually referring to people in the church. It's not p random people on social media that you didn't like their posts, so you wanted to go comment a whole long story underneath it. Your brother or sister, that's what we're talking about here. So we're not talking about how do I confront the injustices of the world. We're talking about what do I do in church community if I see something or I have a discernment or I know something what do I do? So that's what we're talking about here. And once again, it also says sin. So it's not just, oh, I don't like the guy, or I don't like that hurt my feelings. It's not just your own personal grievances. This, this instructions we are given here is clearly to do with actual sins. And what we are, what are we, what's our responsibility? Ethical codes, moral, all that stuff we're talking about. Where do we draw the line. So the first thing it says, the first instruction, we're given four instructions in these passages, if anybody is trying to take any form of notes. The first instruction we are given is to go and point out their faults between the two of you. Just you and them. That's not accusatory. 
It's just bringing something to light, that there's something out of alignment with how they should be living. This is not call-out culture. This is not shaming. This is not public. This is a private thing, one-on-one, to them, not about them. I think often we do a lot of about before we work up the courage to do the two. To them. I don't have to first go check with Kruven, did you see it too? What do you think? No, no, no. To them. One-on-one. Otherwise, it invites shame. And you know what shame does? It shuts us down so fast from being able to actually work with anything. It kills. It doesn't bring life. And you know what happens if anything is public? And public, I don't mean like up here public. I just mean where there's a couple people even feels public. As humans, we have a fight or flight response. So you're an animal that's cornered. That's literally what happens. If you have a bunch of friends that come over and say, hey, we need to talk, you are going to fight or flight your way out of that situation, and I can guarantee you there'll be very little fruit because that is scary. And I don't think that that's what they're asking us to do here. So the first thing we do is we just go, I've got a feeling, oh, I really, I don't like what I saw there. I think you're in trouble. I go to you one-on-one and speak to you. And you know what it says there? It says, if they listen to you, you have won them over. Amazing. That's a victory for the kingdom. You brought them back. Done. You don't have to keep reading. It's finished. So actually, a lot of the time, it's as simple as that. We think it's now this whole drawn-out thing. I caught my brother in sin. I better. Actually, a lot of the time, if we just call someone, they've got a gut too. They felt it, and oftentimes just being called on something is enough of a spurring on for them to go, yeah, actually, you know what? I need to address this thing. I've had that feeling. I do need to turn around. I need to make some changes. And so often, that's it. Amazing. The victory for all of us. Then we go on. Our second instruction, if that doesn't work, right? So first of all, it could have worked. We might have won them over. Verse 16, but if they will not listen... Take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And that takes us back, that phrase of two or three witnesses takes us back to Deuteronomy 19.15. That's what they're referencing there, which was actually in the courts. Um, And that verse says, one witness is not enough to convict anyone accused of any crime or offense that they may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So they were using this to say, you need to then bring one or two others along for a number of reasons. One is so that someone can also now see the seriousness. Oh, it's, just not, it's not just one person that's got a beef with me. Actually, a few people have this concern. A few people have seen this thing, and they consider this to be serious enough that they wanted to bring it to me. So we're, we're ramping up the scale, basically. We're saying, hey, listen, it's not just me. It's, this is not actually just a personal thing. We genuinely, as your brothers and sisters, are concerned for you. And so this is what we do, okay? If that doesn't work, we go to verse 17, our third option, which says, if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. 
Can I go home now, please? <laughs> I don't want to do this part. <laughs> Whew, this is a hard one, eh, guys? I'm not going to ask you to put up your hands, but I'm fairly certain if we were to, there'd be a number of us that have either personally or via our friends heard of this doing this being done badly. But it's in the word, so we have to read it and figure it out. There has to be a good way. That's how I figured when I got here. So one of the reasons why we tell it to the church is for someone to see how much is at stake. If this was a family, if this was like mom, dad, a couple kids, as a parent, you first go to your child, you speak to them, you try to sort it out. This felt very much like parenting to me because you have to go to them like four times, which felt accurate for my morning. Um, <laughs> I'm the only one who has kids that doesn't listen. Okay. Um, so we take it to them. Eventually, it's a family meeting because there's actually something serious. <laughs> my husband's laughing. Um, so this is the thing. This is to show someone how much is at stake, that this is no longer just, you know, an opinion of one person. This is actually, this is a serious thing, and we are concerned for you. This is out of concern. Remember, it's out of love, not shame, not cancel culture. It's from a place of love of we see what you are doing, and it is not okay, and we are concerned for you, we are concerned for your family, whatever the situation is. And churches do this differently. And to be very honest with you, I am actually not going to get into the specifics of how each church does it, because I think that would be another whole can of worms. Um, and even in terms of the scriptures, if you actually go and study this, it is a gray area in terms of application. So I think each church movement also makes their own calls as to how this is going to be applied. But... It must be done in the same spirit as number one and number two, which was love. Not accosting, not triggering their fight or flight. This is done out of a spirit of love. And it needs to be done not because of power and influence. This is not to get my way. The motive needs to be pure. It can't be about power and influence. As soon as it's about those things, it is no longer actually about concern for a brother caught in sin. It's actually just about your own story, your own power trip, your own whatever. I need to be right. And that's not what this is. Okay. Then, that still doesn't work. And we go to step four, which says, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I was speaking to someone about this yesterday, and I was saying, I think originally I had this idea wrong, because in my head I felt like it was, maybe when I was younger, when I read these scriptures, it was sort of, after they've spoke, you've spoken to the church, if they're still not listening, kind of have nothing to do with them. That was my understanding, like, gone. But... When I, when I re-looked at it now, the way that Jesus treats pagans and tax collectors, he, he talks to them. <laughs> he actually treats them with a lot of kindness and respect and love. I've been watching The Chosen. I'm sure some of you have too, just because I enjoy seeing some of the stuff visually. But 
if you, if you see the way that Jesus speaks to the tax collectors and the pagans, there's love and respect there. They're not shunned from the community. He calls Zacchaeus down from the tree. Matthew becomes a disciple. So I think we've got something wrong there. We're respecting their decision. We respect, okay, cool, so you are choosing, you are now actively choosing to live in sin, basically. We've told you one, two, three, four times, you actively are choosing that lifestyle. Cool. I respect your decision. What they're saying is, they are not, then they have an issue. They are in open rebellion against God. Not me. I've done what I was instructed to do. That's between them and the Lord. We treat them as we would any other unbeliever, which is with kindness and compassion and friendliness. We still talk to them. I speak to friends that aren't Christians. I, I'm quite kind to them. I actually enjoy hanging out with them but I don't hold them to the same moral standard that I do my friends that are Christians because we, we're living a different life in here. Out there too, huh? But you know what I mean. So we actually continue to reach out to them. We stay open in invitation as we would any other unbeliever. We don't say, you chose another way, good luck to you, cheers, you do you. We actually continue in relationship with them, but for some of us, that might mean adding some boundaries, as we would with any family structure, because we do protect ourselves, and we're now considering you to be no longer in the family, because you're actually choosing to not be a practicing believer. We still love you. We're still friends with you. I may need to just boundary certain aspects of my heart or my life to you, but I'm going to be open. You're probably still going to come have a bottle of wine with me on a Friday night, because why not? I think in that, in staying open and relating, there is far more chance to bring them back for restoration, which is exactly, that's exactly what we want. That's our heart. The heart behind this entire text is restoration, not who's right or wrong. So if the heart is restoration, the shunning clearly can't work. Because, I mean, who's going to come back to someone who's cut you off completely? That would be a serious maneuver. You're far more likely to come back to someone who's actually stayed mates with you. And has said, you know what, I really don't love what you're doing, but I still love you. I'm still your friend. I think there's far more Jesus in that. So that changed for me when I thought about that, that whole pagan and a tax collector thing. So I just wanted to give you guys that. Unbelievers' moral decisions have nothing to do with us. They have a very different moral code. Our moral right and wrong, all of that stuff comes from our relationship with Jesus. If someone out there is making different decisions, that's their story. They don't believe the same thing as me, so why should I hold them to my standards? I can't. Which is why I find it really tricky when I see Christians protesting outside of certain things. Because actually, if those people are unbelievers, we don't like it, but technically they can do what they want. Because they're not following the commandments that we have from relationship with Jesus. And it's a tricky line, I know that. I'm on thin, thin ice, I know. <laughs> Believe me, I know. 
But we don't have the same belief structure, so we shouldn't be holding each other to the same standards. They need to come into the family first. The beliefs are in here, not there. My friends can do what they want. I might not like it, but they can, actually. Unless they're in here, then y'all are in trouble. <laughs> okay. Yo, you guys still with me? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, this is what the message says. I just want to quickly look at that one more time, and then we're going to move on to verse 18. The message says, if you won't listen to the church, you'll have to start over from scratch, confront him with the need for repentance, and offer again God's forgiving love. That's like trying to get a convert, right? So do you see where I'm going with this? We're actually then just treating them like any other unbeliever and saying, hey, please come join the family. That's what we're called to do here. Then if we go on, so those are our four instructions, but I just want to finish, I just want to keep going through verse 18 to 20. Verse 18 says, truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven which basically says we have the authority of heaven on earth. When you confront sin, you have God with you. If you're doing it this, the right way, let's say. Not when you're out there picketing and burning things. But when we confront sin, we have God with us. Verse 19 says, Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. So Jesus is saying to us, he is with us in this. When you are going out to do step one, just your one-on-one -on -one encounter from the beginning, Jesus is with you. He is the divine presence and he is here with us even in the mess of community. Because we know it's messy. When you sin, when you are hurt, when there is misunderstandings, Jesus is here with us in that too. Yes? Yay. We're still together. Love it, guys. Thank you for following along with me here. But I think a lot of damage has been done when this verse has been turned into a formula for church discipline. There's been a lot of uh, shaming, church politics, moral superiority. A lot of people have been devastated by Matthew 18 done badly. I know. I've got countless friends who can speak to that. They've been devastated. But people have also been hurt or left wounded by Matthew 18 not done at all which is where I'm trying to find us, between the cancel culture and the permissive. We're trying to wind our way into that middle lane. We can't just ignore everyone and think they're going to figure it all out on their own. I don't want you to ignore me. I'm here. I'm in this community. I don't want to be ignored. If you see something, say something. We can't just leave people and assume that Jesus is just going to do everything. Because then why do we bother to come to church? We can actually just be Christians on our own then. 
if we're choosing to be in Christian community, we're actually asking for the relating bits, which are sometimes messy. Most of the time, they're awesome and great, and that's why we love to be in church community with each other. But a lot of the time, people have just been left to stumble and fall deeper and deeper into their sin and leave Jesus anyway. Because we're afraid. And I think for me personally, I'm one of those people. I'm afraid to do this badly. So I have to take a really big breath before I do it at all. Because I know how hurt people have been. Confronted badly. We have this comparison between cruelty of the stuff done badly versus compromise of it not being done at all. And compromise, we all know where that leads us. In fact, I was reading, or no, let's be honest, I was listening to a podcast, okay? <laughs> it counts. <laughs> I, I was going to sound more intellectual than I am. I was listening to a podcast, and it was speaking about um, a family systems theory, because I'm a bit of a psych nerd, so it was, it's a guy called Friedman. But anyway, I'm going to give you the very short summary of it. Basically, the studies found that groups, they, talked, they looked at small groups and big groups, so even down to a, a, a nuclear family and a big group, like let's say this church. Um, groups will devolve to meet the lowest level of maturity rather than raise it to the highest level. That is what they've actually found. And they've studied groups and watched how people relate. Basically, that means when we compromise, we all go down. Because we're just going to slowly devolve down to the weakest, puppest Christian in the room. If we don't actually call each other to something greater. If we don't actively try to raise it. That's, what, that's like psychological theory. So we have to actually do something to counteract that because that's what would happen naturally if we all just left it and sat here and said, cool, someone else's problem. And what happens when we do that? Well, first of all, to confront someone else's sin, we have to confront our own. <laughs> I'm out of here, that's the worst bit. Because we know if we, I can't go to someone else and call them on their stuff if I've got a hundred skeletons hiding in my closet. So I think that's the part that we're afraid of. Because we know if we're going to start opening, opening these cans, we know what's coming out. And so I think often we just hide from the fear of that. But then we lower the standard, we lower the standard of Jesus' vision of church what he's calling us to. And then we all suffer that pain together. We all go down together. Um, confrontation is actually one of the most loving things you can do. For parenting, if you look at your children, we do them a disservice, disservice when we let them live a life without boundaries. Does anybody else found that? Just me. It leads to far more pain and suffering and lack of identity and all these things that we know kids suffer from if they live a life without boundaries, which is way worse than a hard few days while you have to hold something fast. I was speaking to a friend the other day who is actually my daughter Eleanor's teacher, so she teaches like tiny toddlers, and I was asking her, how on earth do you do that? Because <laughs> that's insane. That's a lot of them. Um, and, and, she, and they, they do so well there. And she said, the new ones come in, they're crazy, they're off their rocker. 
I'm just the same. She's got her set things. She's got her boundaries. She's got her system. And she just holds it. She just holds it. That's what it is. Teacher Amy says. And that's how it goes. And you see within a couple days even of those kids being there, they are flourishing because kids need structure. I'm not talking Hitler regime structure. I'm talking just boundaries, just a life with some parameters. And they flourish. They do so well. They love it there. They feel safe and secure because they know what's going on. There's a time and a place for each thing that happens at school. And that's actually very reassuring because the world is scary. Let's all be honest. We wouldn't mind a few more parameters around our lives sometimes. I just want to know what's going on. <laughs> what time will I eat? Um, <laughs> but it's this thing. We need boundaries. And, and so boundaries, confrontation, the stuff all comes together. You know me. I always go off on the parenting stuff. I'll stop. <laughs> Don't encourage me. We need to hold fast to these things so that as a body, we go up, not down. That's the goal. Okay. How do we not go down? Hebrews 10 verses 24 to 25, that's a nice instruction. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So we are called to do the stuff. We have to spur one another on, which means you need to start saying something. We need to actually actively relate with each other. In a marriage where people don't talk to each other, it's just a matter of time before things are going to dissolve. We have to talk to each other. We have to get to know each other. We have to have relationship with each other because none of this can happen if we're not in real, authentic relationship. When we were during the conference um, last week, uh, one of the, the he, David Ruhr spoke and he was doing a justice talk and he read this prayer of St. Francis and the first few lines of it stuck with me in a deep way and I just want to give them to you. You can go look for the rest of them. But it says, May God bless you with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that you may live deep within your heart. How's that for a prayer? May God bless you with discomfort at easy answers and half-truths and superficial relationships so that you may live deep within your heart. That's one of those prayers that you like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> give me the discomfort because we know what it means. But that's what we want. We want to live deep within our hearts and we want to live deep as a community. So sometimes we need the discomfort. We need to actually say that's a half truth. We need to call it in each other's lives too. The one thing I will just say before, and I promise I'm nearly done, the other side of that as well is when people are confronted, we do not leave them out into the cold afterwards. They come into a hospital where they are cared for and nurtured and brought back to life. We speak about that often the church is a hospital. So even if you are called on your sin and you choose to stay, 
You don't, it's, there's still no shame. There's still no judgment. There's still no vicious beast coming to get you. You're in a hospital where we care for you. We love you. We treat you with love and respect as we help you to get back to health so that you can then take your turn nursing the next one down the line. That's what we're called to here, guys. So actually, at no point should someone be in the cold. That's my interpretation of these scriptures. At no point are we left out in the wilderness. The relationship continues. Because that's what we are called to as Jesus people. Relationship. And that is where transformation happens. That's where restoration happens. All of these things happen from relationship. And for us, that starts with relationship with Jesus which then has an outworking in how we relate to each other. It's not easy, I promise. I'm not, you know, not making any promises about the easiness of it. But when I look at these scriptures and I read the Gospels and I look at Jesus' life, Jesus' posture, even in confrontation, was always one of love and grace. Even in his maddest moments, when he saw things that, he was, that were really getting him riled up, even in there, even when he was rebuking and turning over tables and confronting people, his love and his grace never ended. So we need to model ourselves after that. Yes? Yes? So there's hope in this, is there not? Yeah? I think this is actually far more hopeful then we maybe first realized that calling each other on stuff is actually the kindest thing we can do. Because it's saying, hey, I want to be real. I want to walk the long walk with you. And I want to show you the greatest love I can show you. Which is to call you to something greater. And the same then applies to keep that love on with those that are not choosing this way. Because that's the only way we're going to get them in is with love and grace and compassion. It's not my job to make it all perfect. The Lord is working here too. All of this is done with the power of Jesus. That's what it says here, where we agree he is with us, his presence is with us. So we're not doing this alone. Will you stand with me? Yeah, so I'm very well aware of the hard, harsh pain that can come with a topic like this. I'm well aware of it. And I don't want us to look over it either. So I'm not pretending like this is all perfect, I promise you. But I think as I was preparing for this today, I felt like there was two sort of distinct calls and we'll, we'll definitely carry on with an open ministry time after that. Um, but I'm going to give them to you first and then we're going to pray. So the first one, I think for some of you today, 
Even as I was speaking, you had a person in your head. You actually already had someone in your life that was coming to mind when I was speaking. Someone that, or something that you've been troubled with, but you maybe haven't, you've been avoiding challenging or addressing or going after. Um, that there's something stirring in you, even just as I was speaking about this today, that you had someone that you were thinking, Flip, I really need to speak to them. And the second thing that I thought I really would like to pray for today is that for some, for some of you here today, you might be this person. You might be thinking, but that's me. I actually know I'm sinning, and I wish I could stop. <laughs> or you just have that feeling. You're like, Yo, this one's for me. Maybe you've had that confrontation moment already. Maybe someone has come to speak to you. Maybe not. Maybe you have some spiritual pain of your own in this area. But I also felt like there was a call today for you to listen to your brothers and sisters here today and to God's whispers that are already in your heart and not wait another minute. So let's just pray together and see what the Spirit is wanting to do here. Yeah, Father God, we know that you are here with us. We know that you are so present in each of our hearts in this room today. And we just invite you now to come and speak. Where there's conviction needed, where there's courage needed, we just ask Holy Spirit that you would come. ask for another level of bravery this morning. If any of these things apply to you, can I ask that you come to the front that we can pray with you? So whether it's that you feel like you are needing to get your own bravery on to challenge someone else, or if it's you yourself that's feeling challenged, can I just ask that you would come forward and we can spend some time praying. Come Holy Spirit. still some people in the front that are needing prayer if you'd like to come and join and pray I think it'll just be good for us to take a minute here together
just going to pray a prayer over the rest of you, and then you're free to stay, go, do what you like. But I just really want to pray today. Yeah, Father, I just pray over this whole family, this whole congregation here with us today, Jesus, that we would be people inspired and moved by your presence in our hearts to go out and change the lives of those around us. That even just today as you leave, you would leave with a sense of hope and expectation for what God is wanting to do through you in the lives of your family and friends. That you'd feel inspired to go out to the unbelievers and the believers to show Jesus' love and compassion. And I pray right now, just as we are here today, that God would plant seeds and ideas in your hearts of ways that you can greater influence those around you. How are you going to reach those friends that you've just been longing to let them find Jesus? That even as we hear today, that he would just give you these ideas, these seeds into your hearts. For a greater move of the Spirit in this place and out of this place. I pray the Lord's blessing on you. Yeah. Be blessed. Go and have a great Sunday, everyone.